Welcome to Growing Trends. This is Chris, and may I introduce Anne. Today, we're interviewing Bill Sosinski from Energine University and Joe Rivet, and we're talking about algae. species out there that have the capacity to be able to detoxify certain types of elements that are out there, such as dioxin, which uh, our science, we have not been able to figure out how to be able to neutralize the dangerous effects of dioxin. However, algae can do that, or certain species of algae, and I'm not, unfortunately, I don't know the exact species. Joe, you may have a better idea about this, but this is what uh, you know, at least I've heard when I've been at conferences. And algae is used regularly as, in, particularly, you know, when you're talking about farm instances and in the developing world, as a, as a way to detoxify water. It's much cheaper than using the chemicals, and you're not putting artificial chemicals into the system, which may have, you know, some other, which may add to the toxicity of whatever waste is coming out of that process. You know, the, the uses for algae are almost endless. I mean, we can make energy out of it. You can clean up wastewater. You can create food from it. You know, it's obviously a fertilizer. It can replenish the, the soils. You can make artificial plastic from it. And I think we're just starting to scratch the surface as to what the applications how, are as we start doing the research into the different forms of algae and how, those, uh, how their, their particular strengths and their particular powers and their particular attributes can be applied in a, in a commercial sense. So how about medical could it create medicines? Oh, absolutely. You said nutraceuticals yeah. earlier. Yeah, it, it, so. is, it is really used in a lot of nutraceuticals, a lot of pharmaceuticals. Uh, one of the, and I, I think going back to omega-3 fatty acids, I think we're just beginning to see that body of medical evidence growing on the importance of omega-3 fatty acids mm-hmm. when it comes to anti-inflammatory, cardiovascular yeah. health, neurological health. There's there's a whole host of you know areas where we really need the benefits of algae. Uh, going back to what Bill said, uh, he's, he's absolutely right about algae being able to capture a lot of waste products at the end. You know, in a lot of industrial applications, you have a lot of you know, wastewater and nutrients uh, that need to be removed, or you might have uh, carbon dioxides that are you know, form, form from burning. You can, you can uh, capture that carbon before it's released back into the environment and contributes a greenhouse problem. Uh, so there's a lot of... But what happens once it's captured? What would the algae then be? You couldn't, could you use it for once you've captured, say, the dioxin and things, which is... Yeah, you would have, for, in the case of dioxins, you would have a hazardous waste product in that case, but it's a, it's a way of capturing it and isolating it. You know, in the case of carbon dioxide, of course, you're, you're just removing that carbon dioxide from the system and you can use that algae for, you know, that's, that's the respiration process there. You can use that algae for whatever purpose you, you want. So, I mean, it, it, in the cases of burning, uh, burning coal or whatever, where you've got uh, carbon emissions, you can use algae to take that carbon before it gets back up in the atmosphere, you know, a way of scrubbing it out. So does that mean you could use it in space travel? As a biofuel? Well, yeah, definitely yeah. as a well, biofuel. Well, no, as a, I, I, as a filter. So you, so you could purify or detoxify yeah. um, various functions on, say, a spaceship. Certainly. I know, I know um, one of the uh, 
uh, NASA actually has quite a, a team of researchers that do a lot of work with algae. And I, and I know if we're talking about, uh, for example, colonization of Mars, I think algae will have a very important role in that, both both feeding people and as a fuel source. So I, I think, yes, uh, in terms of space travel, algae is going to be a, a major component. That's, that's very funny. Plans, Chris, you, you need that, to let so, me know about <laughs> I'm wondering if Chris has some travel plans in mind. (laughs) You're talking about Mars, and you're talking about the same process. And what we would bring there initially would be algae to get, get, well, maybe not the process of starting life on Mars, but certainly supporting human life if it goes there. Wouldn't that be something? Wow. We're all pausing for thought here. (laughs) That would really be something. Well, hey, you know, I was just thinking about if algae has this hard kind of or fibrous or tough-to-break-down outer wall, is there any opportunity to take that and use it for some kind of fiber, for some kind of, you know, like a, I don't know, a cellulose type of product that would be used mm-hmm. in fabrics or, you know, can you see any kind of application in that way? Uh, for the macroalgae, I know. Uh, yeah, for, for microalgae, we, we generally don't have that strong. I mean, the cell walls are there. The ones that, in terms of microalgae, the ones that have the toughest cell walls, uh, they typically use silica. So they make these silica mm-hmm. frustules. They're called diatoms. You know, there's some Certainly some other purposes that we could use from the silica in that case, but uh, one of the challenges that we have harvesting algae is to figure out how to get past for both biofuels and for food. Some of the ones that are more valuable in terms of their oils, they have these hard, relatively hard outer, sh- outer cell walls. So if we can figure right. out a way how to digest them or to separate them, how to break them open, you know, that's, that's one of the obstacles where a lot of research is being done right now. It's part of the process mm. of isolating and extracting those oils. So as we're going forward, you know, you mentioned, I can't remember what it was, in five years they were going to be using it as an issue. Was it the part of the military, the defense, and all those? Mm-hmm. But when, when this is going to be, you know, taken on a practical level now and all over the world, where is, what are the areas? You mentioned along the equator or, you know, the very sunny areas. Let's project over the next year, two years, three years, four years, five years. Where are we going to see more and more and more of this? I'm expecting, you know, to start seeing these products showing up in my Whole Foods market. Oh, they're already there in the Whole Foods market. Yeah, you can go to the Whole Foods market today and, and buy algae flour. You can buy algae oils for cooking and supplements. But as Bill mentioned in the previous segment, Australia right now is really at the forefront, the frontier of mm. these large-scale outdoor operations. They have uh, some of these really big companies going in and making these massive, massive you know, algae outdoor flow-through ponds, something that on the scale that's never been seen before. So I think Australia is, is really going to be one of the areas that, in terms of scale, that we start to see the most progress. Uh, but also in perhaps I mean, the southern United States as well. And that's where a lot of, in California, Arizona, Texas, we're seeing a lot of algae farms popping up in those areas. Be interesting We've to see mentioned those, third world know, It seems like a real possibility for uh, North Africa and the Middle East as well. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if anyone's doing that's, that type of work, although I know some algae work is being done in Israel. But, exactly, uh, yeah. It would seem to me that that would be an ideal climate. That remind, yeah, that reminds me. Israel is also at the forefront. They are a lot of the biggest companies out there in aquaculture and algae culture are in Israel right now. Uh, they've been putting a lot of investment into it. So that's another area, probably because of the, the amount of arable land that they have there. It's a very arid region. Uh, so, yeah, they've been culturing in Israel. So how, what kind of job market does this, do these types of farms create? Does it take very many people to keep an algae aquaculture farm going? Is it pretty much self, just 
you know, you get it going and it just kind of takes <laughs> care of itself? Does it need a lot of, of uh, uh, monitoring? Specialists, yeah, it, there's, well, there's a whole range. I mean, it can range from, you know, the do-it-yourself culturing all the way, you know, a small tank in your own home, all the way up to these large-scale operations where you've got all kinds of, you know, around-the-clock monitoring of water quality, of pH, of salinity, of light, temperature. It's probably similar to a lot of agricultural farms. You, you would not need a huge team to support them once they're up and running. You're going to need probably a, a team of specialists to make sure that everything is operating correctly. But, you know, I mean, for a lot of these big operations, there's probably somewhere between 20 and 50 people on some of these in these big outdoor ponds, so not a huge staff. It's on the manufacturing end. Once the, the algae, the basic algae species, yeah. you know, are, are farmed, then you, you know, you've got entire new businesses of nutraceuticals and pharmaceuticals and food supplements and fertilizer and, you know, whatever it is that you're going to be making out of the <laughs> algae. Then, of course, you have entire other businesses that are actually empowered and are created by this algae production. Yeah. So actually, it's very interesting. That's I mean, it's beautiful. changed the way we relate to a lot of these basic areas of food, energy, you know, it, it's just going to change. That It has to change. And yeah. we have to do less damage to the planet. And this is a really, really efficient way to create the nutrients we need and to create a lot of the products that we have to have, you know, for our daily existence, whether it's farm and food related or whether it's fuel related or whether it's uh, you know, nutrition and medicine related. Algae, we're just touching the surface right now in terms of its potential. And that's why I think there's so much research that's being done and so much money that's being put into it currently because I think people recognize that. Certainly they've recognized that in Australia and Israel and, you know, whatever other countries. There are a number of places where they're doing it, Southern California. This is not mm -hmm. something that, that's mm -hmm. new to these folks. This, this has been going on for quite some time. And was, these, uh, uh, it's new to me, so I'm, I'm just going to be downright honest about my ignorance. So this is the kind of thing where a, a young person who's looking for their career, this would be an excellent field of study then all the byproducts that are going to be coming from algae, all the things you just mentioned, Bill, those would be, you know, new fantastic. fields of study, I, I would imagine. I don't think there is, a, there is a single field right now that deals with long-term sustainability of, of the human species on this planet that's more important than algae right. and algae development. Algae is going mm -hmm. to be the single area that saves us in in 20 different directions if we manage it correctly. And, and you know, I, I mean, there's a downside right now to what we're doing to the oceans because we're reducing algal species daily. I mean, they're just getting wiped out by the changes in pH uh, in the ocean. And, uh, you know, that's, that's negative, but there's still so much potential, even with what we've already, with the research that we've done. You know, you look at something like spirulina. They, they're doing medical research right now to find out exactly what spirulina is able to cure. I mean, they're using it uh, to deal with all sorts of uh, diseases that deal with the immune system. They're looking at it as lowering cholesterol, of uh, preventing heart disease, healing wounds, improving digestion. You know, any number of different uses, stress relief, hay fever, depression, anxiety, anything that you can mention right now that has to deal with, uh, with medicine, they're starting to do experimentation with different types of algae, particularly blue-green algae and spirulina. That seems to be the, the one that they're most focused on. But I can only imagine that there are probably other trains out there that are going to have miraculous upside in terms, of, uh, in terms of affecting people and creating new markets and new businesses and solving problems that we can't solve otherwise. 
Yeah, that is, that's so wonderful. Really on, on, on the medical note, I mean, I guess one of the moments for me in my research that was really an eye-opener and, and kind of an aha moment for me, I was attending a conference just after I was finishing up my master's thesis in, in Victoria, British Columbia. A keynote speaker at this conference was a, uh, a gentleman by the name of Michael Crawford. He was from London, a brain person who studies brain function. He was affiliated with the World Health Organization and two points he made during his talk. The first was that there was a growing body of evidence that the evolution of our species, our, our ancient ancestors when we were along the, the continent of Africa and settling there, when we started to harvest from the sea, when there was evidence that our populations were there, you find fossils and you find evidence that we were harvesting from the sea, that correlates to a time when we had a really quick advancement in our brain development. So I think seafood is tied to the evolution of our species. And the second point that he made was uh, there was a large-scale epidemiological study that was done in China where they have a little bit more open access to patient records. And they were looking at diet, seafood, omega-3 fatty acids, and they were looking at neurological disorders, mental illnesses, uh, cardiovascular health throughout different regions, and they found in areas where they had the highest seafood consumption, they had the lowest rates of all these neurological disorders, mental illness, d depression, all sorts of immunos immunosuppressant diseases, and cardiovascular health. So I think those two points really brought it home to me that algae, which are the base and the foundation of these omega-3s, and a lot of the other properties that Bill mentioned, are really going to be important in the future of our health. And we need to really figure out a way to harness these and, and get them working for us. Yeah, as soon as possible. You go sailing, of course. That's the <laughs> That's a beautiful way to do it. Listen, at my age, with the way my memory is going, I would love anything that's going to help me remember things better, and I'm sure oh, Alvin yeah. probably does that too. Get your, get your omega-3 supplement. I've got my parents taking one, and myself, and my son, and you know, I, I would recommend them to everyone. Oh, I know that that's true, and I know about their anti-inflammatory properties. They are very, very, mm -hmm. very effective that way. Isn't that one of the main um, foods of the whales? Don't they just gulp up all that stuff every day? Oh, well, they they're basically they eat krill. Uh, I think yeah, krill well. is one of the major food sources. Plankton uh, and krill, what, yep. what else? What else are whales eating these days? <laughs> <laughs> well, they're basically huge filter feeders. They're out there eating the plankton, the, the phytoplankton, zooplankton, the krill, as you mentioned. So, yeah, they're eating the algae. That's what they eat by the ton, you know. And they're pretty smart animals as far as I can see. <laughs> what, what else can you tell us about aquaculture? Do you know about that as well, Joe? Because I was actually watching something about what they're mm -hmm. doing in Israel recently in their fisheries, the agriculture fisheries there, and it's fascinating what they've yeah. come up with. It's a totally sustainable process that has like absolutely like no byproducts. Yeah, that, that's what we're aiming for uh, with Bill and Bill's uh, vision at, at Energime here. And we're looking at similar aquaculture closed-loop systems where we have, uh, you know, an integrated multitrophic system where we've got everything from the bottom all the way up, the algae, the zooplankton, the fish. It's a way to emulate nature there. In terms of protein, and when we're talking about aquaculture and fish production, I think right now worldwide about a third of the seafood protein comes from aquaculture. With mm -hmm. the state of our current world fisheries, we are really maxing out. There's nowhere to, to grow right now. We are, we are pushing our fisheries as far as we can currently. There's no, no way we can increase the fisheries. And fish consumption is actually increasing per capita around the world. So we're going to have to start expanding aquaculture. If you're talking about sustainability and just from a protein sense, to give you an, an example, comparing it to other meat sources, beef, 
and goats, for example, I think it takes about eight kilograms of feed to produce one kilogram of beef. Right. About half that for pigs, four kilograms of feed per kilogram of meat. And poultry are probably some of the most efficient. They're right around two kilograms of feed per kilogram of poultry. Fish from aquaculture are right there with poultry, right around two kilograms Per, of feed per kilogram of, of meat. So if you're looking at meat production and, and protein, you know, that aquaculture is, is a good way to go relative to some of our other current systems. Algae is a protein source. You know, that's, you don't, you don't have to put any sort of uh, protein feed into, you, you know, the, the feeds that we're giving our livestock could go right into the human food chain, the grains and what have you. You know, if we're putting eight mm -hmm. kilograms of grain to make one kilogram of meat, that's not going to be sustainable. So if someone is listening to the, I mean, we have people that listen to this podcast all over the world, and they're bird and really moved by what they're hearing, and they want to actually begin to study and to learn. Where can they go? What is, what are some of the best places to go and learn about the future of these of these topics? I mean, and how do they get in touch with you, Bill? And how could they maybe get in touch with you, Joe? Let's. I would like to make sure our listening audience gets that information. We always put it on our website, you know, just so. If, someone doesn't have access to the computer and they're just hearing this, well, where, I, how can they Joe can answer learn specifically, more? Joe can answer that question specifically if they want to get in touch with Energon. We have contact information on our website. Now, I answer basically every email that comes in. It doesn't matter. I, I'll, I'll, I'm always happy to answer an email from someone if they have a question or if they're interested in somehow uh, you know, talking to us. We're always happy to talk to people. As far as where to learn the information, maybe Joe, you want to handle that one? There's a lot of different resources for algae groups. I would start with some of the uh, the research groups that are out there. Every uh, country has algae groups that are composed of researchers. You can go to local universities and, and learn about it online there. In terms of centralized source of algae, I'm trying to think of some online resources for it. Top well, is there, wherever you went to school, I mean, is there a particular university, college program that would be a good place to go and study? Where could someone go and learn more for a formal study? Is there such a thing? Or is it just basic botany and basic, you know, microbiology? And oh, any, you know, any, there, uh, there's some wonderful programs. Yeah, there, yeah. There's some and, wonderful programs in the U.S. Okay. Uh, where I met Joe at the University of Washington, I guess that program run by Roseanne, uh, Roseanne Calico. Catalico, yep. yeah, Calico, I'm sorry, okay. uh, is just a phenomenally wonderful program. And you have other programs down at the University of, of uh, California, San Diego, and mm -hmm. Arizona State. I mean, there's just great programs for, for aquaculture and algae studies all over the U.S. Okay. Joe, maybe you should expound on this. You know more about this than I do. No, that's what you mentioned is good. Any any university that has a prominent uh, marine biology or oceanography department is going to have classes that specialize in phycology and in, in the in algae studies. That, that's it's a growing area of interest, and there is more and more coursework that's being added within those larger schools. So, I, marine biology is the place to start or oceanography programs, and there are a lot of good ones. From there, a lot of these bigger programs are adding specializations for phycology and, and studies within that area. And something you were mentioning before, Joe, when we were talking about growing fish or through aquaculture, basically uh, feeding fish off of algae, mm -hmm. there are specific algae biofloc combinations, a biofloc being multiple types of algae that these fish are used to eating. That's a science in itself, isn't it? If you're trying to feed fish or you're going to attempt to feed fish in an enclosure and you're going to try and feed them basically or as much as you can using algae as the main feed source, isn't that really important to understand those diverse strains of algae that they're eating for their, uh, to develop their protein, their omega-6s? Omega mm -hmm. 
Definitely, yeah. You want to try and emulate the natural system as much as you can. There are some species, for example, tilapia, I know, that can, when they're young, juvenile tilapia, they can filter algae directly. I think they've got some sort of a gill mechanism where they can actually filter and capture algae. But for most of them, you're going to need an intermediary. You're going to need like a zooplankton or something to harvest the algae, a grazer, like a small zooplankton, which the small oh, yeah, fish will exactly. feed on. So yeah, so incorporating that that level, and that's something that's widely missing. I've toured one federal research facility here in Washington State where they have incorporated that zooplankton level. But I, I would like to see that really, you know, I, I think that's it's something that's, that's generally key. missing. It is, yeah, it's missing right yeah, now. Yeah, because if you're going to want to grow fish and you're going to want to be completely sort of off the grid to be able to do that, you have to recreate the entire food chain up until the point where the fish is able to eat without uh, the input of the constant input of outside feed sources. That seems to be the critical mm -hmm. step to becoming uh, completely sustainable. And if you can grow your own Does food that also right mean that you can... Sorry, does that also mean that you can reduce the amount of antibiotics that are used in the uh, production? Because I, I understand that a lot of this commercial f fish production mm -hmm. uses quite large amounts of antibiotics, which are probably not necessarily yeah. good for us. Well, that's an excellent point, Chris. I, I think part of the benefits of an algae diet are that they pass on a lot of immune building qualities to the fish. So you can grow them, you know, if you're feeding them an algae-based diet, they have a built-in protection, defense against some of these diseases that you see in close populations. Also, uh, a way to avoid putting a lot of these in the water is to uh, have a less dense, you know, the density of the population of the fish that you're growing is, is a way to, to remove some of those from the, the process. Because I, I, I suspect that that's going to become even more important, although mm -hmm. I understand that the labs have discovered that there's a way of uh, finding more antibiotics now by going outside and growing them outside in the soil, which is you know where they exist in the first place. Mm -hmm. a, bit, a bit like your comment about the lab where you're growing a few, a few varieties of algae when there's hundreds of thousands of them out there if you could only get your hands on them. That's right, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I suspect if we, we find a way of, of, of taking the lab to the algae, you're going to succeed much quicker. In, in, in I think you see, once you see a lot of these commercial markets really maturing and the profitability becoming apparent, particularly to the investor uh, portion of the world, the money will start pouring into it because once people yeah. see, you know, particularly, I think spirulina is very important for, as a, for, that, for that singular point because I think spirulina right now is one of the first things that they're bringing in to areas that are highly stressed for food when people are starving. One of the regiments, I know that the Red Cross and the Red Crescent, is they use spirulina to try to people, bring people back from the verge of starvation. And it seems to be very wow. effective. Wow, that is awesome. Anyway, that, that's, I think that once you start seeing a larger market and it becomes more profitable, yeah. more, you know, and people are starting to use it in greater, and there's a greater demand for it, uh, it's going to explode. It'll have yeah. to. I read an article just last week on a uh, venture capital firm in Silicon Valley that popped up that is doing a lot of work on algae research. They're bringing together these algae, algae companies, cultivation companies, and they're looking at supply chain, bringing the tech companies together with the algae producers and saying, okay, how can we harness this? And, and so that's, it's starting to explode right now. I mean, when you've got venture capitalists bringing together tech companies, big tech company players and saying, okay, how can we source out these algae? How can we make it more efficient? So it's happening uh, right now. That's interesting. And, all you're say and you're saying that all the algae really needs is light, away they go. 
light and nutrient carbon a carbon source carbon dioxide uh, you know if you, in some cases when you're growing it in, in high density you have to bubble carbon dioxide into it but there there's so many different species of algae some of them that they're looking at now for example uh, for omega threes are heterotrophic nanoflagellates so they they don't they can actually produce in the absence of light heterotrophic nanoflagellate marine uh, uh, marine algae that uh, it, they can actually produce in the absence of light if you give them an organic substrate like glucose or sodium acetate. They can produce mass quantities. They're essentially these little oil factories. So there's, there's a lot of uh, alternatives out there for algae, a lot of biological diversity. So what about temperature? Is that clearly in the, in the oceans and things, the temperature is mm -hmm. going to change dramatically as you go through different depths. But if you were growing algae outside, say in the Midwest, would it be an all-year-round thing, or is it something that you'd have to bring indoors? No, absolutely. You, in the Midwest, you would have to bring that indoors. Uh, that's, that is a key. Temperature is certainly a key. Different species of algae that are more temperature-tolerant than others, and, and when you're talking about most of the species, uh, they, they will thrive under a much warmer temperatures. You know, the, sure. So, yeah, you, you would not be able to grow uh, year-round outdoors in the, in the Midwest very successfully. Although I've heard of some aquaculture groups up, in, uh, up north across the border in Canada that are, you know, pushing the boundaries a little bit. But right now, temperature is certainly a factor. Temperature, light, nutrients. A bit like plant growth. Well, they are, generally. in a sense. They, yeah, I mean, absolutely. They, they, are, are. they are plants, yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. I'm I, I, I absolutely speechless it was just fascinating listening to all of this and and i've been taking it all in and absorbing it like some plankton or sponge <laughs> <laughs> me too <laughs> i really appreciate uh your sharing your knowledge with us and with our listeners thank you very That's much uh, joe thank you very much bill oh thanks for your thank time you. my pleasure so thank you both ever so much thanks again bill you're just wonderful Yes. Thanks, Chris. Yes, Thank you, Anne. We appreciate it, Joe. Thanks so much. Thank you all for listening today. We really appreciate your support and tuning in on Growing Trends. Again, make sure to look for us on growingtrends.org for the podcast, or we all are on iTunes. You can look for us as Growing Trends there as well. Look for the blonde and the Brit, and then you'll know that must be them. Thanks from Anne and Chris. Chris.